Dr. Michael Waller is a friend and a patriot. I've known and admired Mike for years. We even traveled together to the Middle East when I was researching the role of the Muslim Brotherhood in economic warfare. And my friend, Dr. Waller, is a living encyclopedia with knowledge of American liberty, our history, and the threats that we're facing today. Dr. Waller is a senior analyst for strategy at the Center for Security Policy. In fact, he wrote the first academic study of the Soviet KGB and its transformation during the post-Soviet transition. That was his doctoral thesis. It was titled Secret Empire, the KGB in Russia Today. It published in 1994. He predicted that the former KGB would take over the Russian state. And after the Soviet collapse, he tried to work with the Russian parliament to turn its human rights committee into a church-style committee that would investigate and uproot the KGB. But Boris Yeltsin, he didn't get it, and Vladimir Putin grabbed power, just as Dr. Waller predicted. He's written, edited, or contributed to numerous books and articles. He's one of America's leading experts on international security affairs. And in fact, he wrote the definitive eyewitness account of the recent January 6th violence in our capital. Welcome, Mike, to the Economic War Room. Hey, Kevin. It's great to see you. Yeah, it's great to see you, too. It's been quite a while. It's been a while. But you wrote in recently an article that caught my attention. It was an American greatness. It was titled, Free Speech is Now a Crime. What did you mean by that? Well, it was a strange title because it sounds so crazy, but it's, it's really true. If you look at what the FBI was saying and doing in the Twitter files, they were criminalizing free speech. They were treating it as a crime and as a national security issue. Yeah, so talk about the Twitter files. The, the, a lot of people say, oh, okay, Elon Musk released these things, and I guess that people were canceled that shouldn't have been canceled, but it really runs a lot deeper than that. Describe what we found in those files. Well, first, the, the way he released the files was amazing. He just simply released them. He, he allowed some honest left-wing journalists to just have their way through Twitter's own internal systems, and then there'd be somebody on Twitter at, at the company right before them. They'd say, give me what you have on this, and they'd cough it right up on the screen and, and give them screenshots or printouts. So it's an amazing collection of documents that's available to just about any, anybody who wants them now, and there are probably more to come. What we found was that the, the FBI and the CIA and other members of the U.S. intelligence community were using Twitter as a way to censor free speech. Yeah. First off, you said honest left-wing journalists. <laughs> Describe yeah. what an honest left-wing journalist is. Well, it's a journalist who doesn't pretend to have a bias, but who lets, you know, he has a point of view. He's from the left. So, but facts are facts. He's not going to deny them. He's not going to denounce them. He's not going to treat people who treat those seriously as conspiracy theorists. He's going to say, wow, these are the facts. Let's speak for themselves. Let's put them out there. Let's interpret them. Let's discuss them. Yeah, no, and, and what I love about that is is it doesn't come, you know, I share a what would be deemed as a right-wing political view. These people and I would not necessarily agree on politics, but we absolutely agree on liberty. And I, and I love that about them. I, I think and my, you can be friends with them and you can have honest discussions with them. That's the great thing. Yeah, it's like Dr. Robert Epstein, who has studied Google and the threat Google brings. He comes from a left-wing view and he and I are friends. Perfect example. So tell me, when the FBI is working with Twitter to censor free speech, why? Why are they doing it? I mean, the FBI is supposed to be investigating crime and protecting America. What's going on here? 
Right. Well, it began with the FBI and the CIA and others working with social media companies to track down terrorists. You find their networks to track down the Muslim Brotherhood until they stop doing that. But that you want to find out who the networks are, where they are, and then there's technology to use social media to geolocate people real time and kill them. Well, that's frightening. So you geolocate people, but the FBI here is not killing people in America, I, I hope. They're killing right. free speech, though. And, right. Well, and it's the same technology. It? it was developed for the war on terror. So it was then civilianized and then, and then abused so that the FBI was, uh, was then using it to really to suppress free speech and to ensure that certain false narratives got out there and then that people were unable to question those narratives or to provide alternative information. Well, and the files have shown it's more than just uh, censoring of false narratives, which is you know something we could argue whether that's a good idea or not, but they were actually taking truth and suppressing truth, even though they acknowledged it was truth in some of the tweets, right? Right. Well, first, F no, no federal law authorizes the FBI to censor free speech, even if it's a, quote, false narrative. And look how we've gotten from the words truth and falsehood to narratives. You know, that's an old common turn trick from the Soviet times. You know, Gramsci types of Marxists, they invented narrative and counter-narrative. Now we're using it as normal words, but it's really an old communist subversive term to create false truths and false dialogues and then false thought processes and false actions. And once something that's not according to the narrative is considered a crime or a national security issue, the security apparatus gets involved and starts repressing free speech. Yeah, so what that would suggest, and are you going there, that uh, our FBI and the intelligence community have been infiltrated by communists with purpose and an intention to take America that direction? Is that, is that what you're thinking? Well, look at it from the enemy's point of view. What would be the number one foreign intelligence service and the number one counterintelligence and security service on Earth that hostile agents would want to penetrate and manipulate? Which ones would they be? They'd be our three-letter people. So that's understandable. The, the scandal is not that. The scandal is that we have not defended ourselves against it. So our counterintelligence is poor. But even worse than that, though, is how the, the education system, having been a graduate professor for 13 years, teaching current and future CIA agents and FBI agents and analysts and so forth, to see how much the public education system and the university system has has, uh, has uh, infiltrated the minds of really bright people, well-meaning people, with critical theory, with cultural Marxism. So they view the world in a completely different way from the way we do, and then they view the FBI and CIA as instruments to be used to, for social justice. Well, we're going to need to take a break, uh, but that is a very real problem. It's a direct threat to our liberty and our free speech. And um, if we don't address this direct threat, you know, I, I fear that we wake up, like you were warning in Russia, to wake up back under a totalitarian system. If we don't do something about this now, we in America may be under that same totalitarian system. So we'll take a break and we'll be right back. We're talking with Dr. Michael Waller, who was in the early 90s warning Russia that just because the wall fell in, in Berlin, and just because the statues were toppled and just because the communist government was disappearing, that the KGB, the intelligence apparatus in Russia, 
was actually poised to take over, and we've seen that happen with Vladimir Putin. We're dealing with the very things he warned against and actually fought to prevent. And now we're seeing something similar happening in the United States. After they get rid of Donald Trump as president, the intelligence agencies have taken control of the narrative and taken control of social media and free speech and everything else. Uh, Mike, you know, what's the threat here? How, how, do we, how do we deal with it? Well, the threat is two ways. There's the offensive threat by, by the bad elements, the ones who, are, who have weaponized the government against the public the ones who have abused the authority of the FBI and the CIA, which conservatives generally were quite supportive of over the years. Uh, that's the offensive danger that we have. But there's a defensive danger, too. So if we really look at this objectively, Donald Trump kept the deep state, as he called it, intact. He didn't do anything against it. He appointed the CIA to run itself with Gina Haspel. He appointed the FBI to run itself with Christopher Wray. Uh, he, he kept the, the whole diversity uh, brainwashing program going on within both agencies. So, so it's not like if, if our friends take the government that things are going to change. Yeah, well, that's frightening. What, what does that mean for us, though? I mean, I hear these words like misinformation, disinformation, malinformation, and you've got to stop this. What does that all turn out to be? Sure. Well, uh, disinformation is really a Russian term. It's the English translation of the Russian term disinformatia, which was a KGB term to define false information that was willfully planted into the general public for the purposes of deceiving a target audience. So that's disinformation. The FBI, by statute, has the obligation to combat foreign disinformation, not as a putting out its own narrative, but simply to detect it and expose it. Misinformation, by contrast, is just a misstatement of fact. It's a mistake. It's okay, said something wrong, something incorrect, or even something that was interpreted the wrong way. So it's not deliberate. It's not malicious. There's no bad intent behind misinformation. But what the FBI has done over the years is they have forgotten the difference between the two. Even though you'll see the Bureau define both terms accurately, in practice, as the Twitter files show, they were treating misinformation as a crime. Well, some, sometimes it wasn't even misinformation. As, as a counterintelligence issue, in fact, that we, it's a foreign spies behind misinformation, which isn't possible to do. Yeah, and sometimes you know, what they could label misinformation uh, six months later turns out to be actually factual information. And we've seen so much in the COVID narrative. Now we're seeing uh, Washington Post come out and acknowledge that uh, death with COVID is not the same as death from COVID. And yet the, the narrative that they put out with anybody who died on a bike accident, if they had COVID, they counted as a COVID death. Well, that was misinformation actually from the narrative and not from the people. Right. Or maybe it was disinformation. We don't know. But the fact that, the, that you have news organizations working with the central government to suppress different points of view, even from physicians in the, in the case of COVID, where you need different points of view. They were repressing different points of view. They were deplatforming people. They were silencing people. And they were even depriving them of their livelihoods. 
Well, and the scariest part to me is, is when you put that narrative out, you get groupthink, and groupthink always leads to totalitarianism, but it also leads to a destruction of individual liberty, creativity, and economic growth. When you have a totalitarian control, you have no real economic growth. So it destroys everything about the American way of life. That's why it's an economic warfare issue. If you silence opposition, then the world must be flat and, uh, uh, all bad humors cause all bad illness and all these other wrong scientific narratives that we've had, uh, but by allowing people to disagree with the narrative and to make their argument in a free speech fashion, we, it creates liberty, it creates opportunity and economic growth. Sure. I mean, can you imagine on economic issues like, say, the stock market, you could only have one point of view about stocks and about where the market is headed and any other point of view would be repressed and silenced? Well, in fact, they did that recently when we had two consecutive quarters of, of negative growth uh, decline. They said, oh, it's not a recession. And the official government position, it's not a recession. If you said it was a recession, you were repressed. It reminds me of Jimmy Carter when they used the term inf inflation or depression. I think Alfred Kahn was his economic advisor. And Jimmy Carter ordered him to not use the term depression. So he used the term banana instead. And he gave a long speech and said, well, we, we have to be wary that we might have a banana. But it gets ridiculous there. Tell us what's, what's the difference between all of that and malinformation. Malinformation is a made-up word. It just means bad, which is mal, bad information. So what is that? You're going to have the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI determine what bad, what's bad information and then running an enforcement mechanism to enforce the... <laughs> the stopping and the fighting of information they don't like. This is police state stuff. This is not what the FBI is supposed to be about, for, you know, protecting the American Constitution. And by the way, the FBI changed its website in recent months to say, right flat out, we're here to uphold the Constitution of the United States. They never used to have to bother to say that anymore because everybody knew that's what its job was. Yeah, no, uh, the term malinformation, I've noticed, it can be true information, it just is bad for us somehow to know the truth. And I, right. I think that's just crazy. Yeah, this is when the truth is wrong. Yeah. The truth is bad, so we can't report it. Yeah, and so it gets into things like a, a person who grew up with Christian beliefs, studies the Bible, believes in that, and says, hey, God made them male and female. Well, that could be malinformation. Right. And, and it is malinformation, really, because if you look at what the FBI is doing now, they're pushing the rainbow agenda really hard uh, throughout the whole bureau. And uh, on the FBI's own website, only one percent of FBI employees are LGBTQ plus or whatever the bureau calls them this week. But they pander and they pander and they're forcing the agents and the analysts and the entire staff to go through brainwashing sessions to force them to break with whatever moral concerns or objections they might have to engaging in these types of, of, of activism uh, and, and encouraging, if not mandating them, to participate in Pride Day protests and all sorts of other things. So this, again, this is political police stuff. This is not uh, law enforcement or counterintelligence. Well, in fact, if I were a foreign power and I wanted to degrade and destroy the United States and I'd read the history of, of this country, the moral underpinnings that were involved here, the number one way I would try and destroy us would be to destroy our, our understanding of truth 
and our recognition of morality and our family values and so forth. This sounds like a foreign intelligence operation being executed on the United States. We need to take another break. When we come back, let's talk about that. Mike, we've been talking about the repression of free speech and how it destroys American values. And I mentioned right before the break, I said, wow, if I were a foreign government, this is how I'd break America down. I would, I would stifle the morality, stifle their freedom, and stifle their free speech. Is that possibly happening here? Well, there have been foreign powers that had precisely that in mind. You know, the Soviets had that in mind. Uh, Lenin himself had that in mind, and he had a whole international Communist Party apparatus called the Comintern that set out to do just that. And they set up a school in Germany, which then migrated to Columbia University at the Teachers College to teach the teachers of American kids and college students. And this has been going on for nearly a century. So, yes, you do have foreign powers that are have been trying to undermine and subvert our institutions, our morality, our self-image, our national self-image. Uh, Machiavelli wrote about this. You know, some of the Roman philosophers wrote about this. This is nothing new. The Chinese uh, Communist Party is active in doing precisely this kind of thing. And you can see from certain of the politicians and causes that it's been supporting and promoting here in the United States. Those are the types of non-values or unvalues or, or lack of values that they are trying to push here because they want us to lose our moral fiber, lose our resolve, lose our sense of purpose, and then collapse. Yeah, well, when we have our speech repressed, you go on Twitter and you tweet something that you believe to be true and you have basis for it. In fact, it probably is true. And then you get canceled from Twitter. That That is very demoralizing. It's a way to punish uh, those that are opposing what you're what you're trying to do, and at the same time to set an example so everybody else says, no, no, I got to be quiet. I mean, it's very Orwellian. Yeah. Yeah. And then you can see how the banks have applied this already in the nascent social credit system that's being developed now. Bank of America, I think, has been doing it. Others have been doing it, taking away uh, uh, some of the uh, uh, GoFundMe type sites have been doing it to take your political views and to weaponize them against you and then deny you services, even though they're liable for providing everybody services equally. So it's starting to happen. The uh, prosecutors aren't prosecuting it. Courts are, are, don't seem too interested. So we're seeing it happen little bit by little bit. And it's that gradualism that's dangerous because, because people sort of brush it off and say it can't happen to them. Yeah, it's the frog in the kettle, and it's just getting hotter and hotter. But this is economic warfare. I mean, when we first talked about economic warfare more than a decade ago, it was in the context of what is Russia doing, or, or what are the jihadis in the Muslim Brotherhood, or what, what are the Chinese doing in economic warfare? This is kind of an internal economic warfare when your bank turns on you because the FBI has told them to, or something like that. Right. Or just the new the, the, sort of the critical theory that's been promoted in universities, uh, the, the graduates carry that to the banks they work for and the law firms they work for and the prosecutor's offices or the universities they work for. So this is all society being weaponized against us through through the educational system. Yeah. And, and it shows up economically. If you don't get the COVID shot, you lose your job. If you don't comply here, you lose your bank account. Uh, PayPal, if you have hate speech, Somewhere on the internet and they find it, they fine you $2,500. I think they backed off of that, but they left it in their terms of service or something. It's, it is nuts and it is individual economic warfare, our system working against us. So what do we do about it? 
Well, there's a neat thing that's happening now, and, and it's not like me to be optimistic, but I really am. And that is the, the new House leadership. You get the Judiciary Committee chaired by Jim Jordan, and you have the weaponization of the Federal Government Committee. They're calling it the WTF Government Committee. <laughs> and they're going to be empowered like the left had empowered Frank Church in the 1970s to go after this wrongdoing and not just abuses in government, but the weaponization of the central government against the American people. It's going to have broad ranging powers. So what we need to do, what, what you and, and all of your viewers, all of us need to do is to give our lawmakers support when they're doing the right thing. Don't blast them if they're not quite there yet, but but encourage them, uh, but encourage them from a positive perspective, and always ask more of them. They need that type of reinforcement because there are a lot more powerful economic forces that are going to be demanding that they do less. So they need our positive reinforcement. Well, I know you know some of these people, and I hope that they're calling on you to come in and testify. You've done that before. You've written research papers and so forth. But you're optimistic. I mean, I've known you for a long time. It's great to hear you're optimistic. So tell have us more. You've never heard me this way before, have you? Yeah. It's really exciting to see unfold. And these are a lot of new staffers. They don't know a whole lot, but they're really energetic and they really want to learn. And then you have some old timers out there who served in the Senate staff during the time of Frank Church and the investigation committee and some old timers from the from the FBI and CIA who know the real national security mission that they're supposed to be serving, who really want to help and who know where a lot of the bodies are buried, as well as people on the inside who are trying to do the right thing. These agencies are rotten because the nerve centers are rotten, but they're not all the people in there are not rotten. There's good ones and, and a number of them have come out and I anticipate a lot more will. So what are the kind of things that we should be watching for when we see it in the headline that we can then applaud them? And how do we get that positive reinforcement back? They all read their Twitter feeds. So make sure you get things to them that way. They Some have Instagram, a couple even still have Facebook. But I mean, the, the real way to do it is anything online and anything that's directly to contact them. So they need the positive reinforcement. And if you have ideas, if you have knowledge, if you have networks of people, contact them and their staffs. Now, I hope a lot of people in government don't know that they have the absolute right to report to Congress without letting their employers know and without any authorization from their employers. If their money is coming from from funds appropriated by the U.S. Congress, they have a right and even an obligation to become whistleblowers. Now, are you writing on this? Is there a place people can go and read what you're writing? And are you going to be helping to lead this? Well, uh, in, a, in a few ways, behind the scenes and publicly, I'm doing some work. But at the Center for Security Policy, we're at securefreedom.org. Every now and then I have something in American Greatness. And I'm working on a book right now about the uh, how the FBI and the CIA went from being cold warriors to defend the United States to becoming politically correct, woke uh, weapons against the American public. So that manuscript is going to be due in a couple of months. Well, I know you were working in Russia and trying to help them avert the same kind of crisis that we're now facing. And a lot of us you know, said, well, you know, that's happening half a world away. I don't have to worry about it. But this time, it's not half a world away. If uh, Russia falls, you know, we have the United States. If the United States falls, we have no place. Where do we go? So this is absolutely right. critical right. work you're, you're right. doing. Yeah. We're, yeah, it's, a, it's really serious for our country because we're, we're being splintered apart as a nation. And this is something that our adversaries have wanted to do for, for generations. You can see it finally happening now. So the future is really frightening. But luckily, we've got a very thin margin in the House. 
Um, but Pelosi was able to manage her thin majority. So we think uh, the good guys, the 20 who, who held out, can do the same thing this time, too. Yeah, no, that is great. So again, where's the best place for people to follow you? Uh, securefreedom.org. And look for the Dr. Mike Waller articles there. So thank you so much, Mike. It's, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. All right, this is a serious existential threat to our nation. There's no question about it, and this is our time. You just heard from who I believe is one of the leading experts on understanding how countries can survive and thrive or fall. And, and Dr. Waller has laid it out. We're going to summarize everything he shared in our free economic battle plan. You can find that at economicwarroom.com. Remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.